Father God, we just want to say thank you for this day and for the opportunity to be here. And Lord, as we gather, we just want to, we want to lift up the requests that were mentioned to us from the first service. Lord, we pray for Janet Smalley, pray for the Fishback family, and pray for Miss Linda Thompson, we pray for pray for Castro. We pray for Dan Belcher this morning. God, we lift all these people up to you this morning that we know are having some difficulties in life and situations and physical ailments. And God, we just pray for them today. We pray that your Holy Spirit would, would touch them and work and move. And God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be here among us. God, not only would it fill this room, but God, it would fill our hearts. God, that everyone sitting here, everyone watching this morning can feel your spirit working and moving in their life, even though it's, you may not be able to explain it, you may not be able to understand it, but God, you can, we can feel that. And Lord, we know that's possible. We, we've prayed this prayer for your spirit to be among us for many, many years. And Lord, there are people who are in our church who testify that they were driving down the road and your spirit led them here. So God, we know that your spirit is powerful. Your spirit can move and work and do amazing things. And Lord, we just ask that you would speak into our hearts and lives today. God, we pray for spiritual healing among us as individuals, God, that you would, Lord, just refresh us. Give us a hunger and desire and a thirst to see your word proclaimed and to see other people get saved, to be able to see other people experience the same thing that we've been able to experience. There's no other joy greater than that. So God, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives today as we read your word Use it to grow us and change us in the name of Jesus Christ. We love you, and we ask all this in your name. All God's people said, amen. You're, you may be seated. Yes, sir. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Well, amen. So you know the series is Come and See. Last week we, we started out in John chapter 1. We'll still be there today. If you got your Bible and want to turn there, that's where we'll, our focus passage will be. But you know, there's something about seeing things with your own eyes. I don't know if you guys have ever started telling someone a story or, you know, whether it be of significance or just funny, usually it's funny. 
and you, you sit down and you try to tell someone about something that you experienced, and you can't even hardly tell the story from laughing because it's that funny. And you know, like it was one of the most amazing, humorous experiences you've ever had in your life. And the person that you're telling this story to looks at you like you're an idiot. And they don't laugh. And what do you say whenever you're just like, you, you're just like, okay, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I told you this, you didn't get it. What do you say? Guess you had to be there. Got to love those geography jokes. If you didn't watch The Office, you didn't get that joke either. But you had to be there. There's something about being able to experience something for yourself, to be able to see it for yourself so that you can have proof in doing that. And so today as we pick up in John chapter 1, verses 43-46, it's very important to understand even today the ability for people to see something is amplified much more today than it used to be. Now, if you got kids or grandkids, you may have experienced this already. If you've tried to tell them about something that happened, I, I got this with my nieces sitting back there a while back. It's like, well, did you take a picture of it? Did you take a video of it? I'm like, no. Well, if it wasn't important enough to take a picture or a video of, why are you telling me about it? It's like, it, it's, it's kind of one of those things. It's like today... As soon as something significant or crazy or funny happens, everybody pulls out their phone and they're just like, yeah. And I've kind of like picked up on that a little bit. So we got a delivery to our home this past week. And the people come and said, hey, just want to let you know we're on the way. So I was standing out waiting on them to come. And I see them pull up and they pull into the wrong house. And so I call them back and they don't answer the first time. I call them back again. I'm like, hey, you're at the wrong house. Well, they had already unstrapped it. They, I mean, the, it, was, it was in the back of the truck. So they pull out, swing in, come up in our yard. And as soon as they open up the back door, what we ordered was turned over on its side. And they're like, oh. And I'm sitting there. The first thing I do is I'm like, pull out my phone. I start taking pictures and videos. So they know that if something's wrong with this thing, that it was their fault and it wasn't something we did. We didn't drop this thing, bring it in the house. That they did it. Because seeing it with your own eyes and having proof is important, isn't it? We, did, we live in a day and time where people want to see it. They want to see it for themselves. And today, we get this cool story about Philip, who is called by Jesus. And so if you remember last week, Jesus shows up. John the Baptist testifies who Jesus is. Two of his disciples leave him and follow Jesus because of the testimony of John the Baptist. And so we saw John the Baptist become less and less so that Jesus could become more and more immediately. And so now we pick up in verse 43 and it says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. <clears throat> and he found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown, and I don't know if you've, you kind of connected the dots, but it's really cool. you got four disciples, um, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and, and about to be Nathaniel, who's all from Bethsaida. And so at least they were at least acquaintances, if not like childhood friends, like growing up together. So, you know, one third of the disciples really have kind of a significant knowledge of each other going into this. But in verse 45, it says that Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him... We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And that's really cool because it's really simple. 
If you've been coming to our Bible studies on Wednesday nights, and if you can't make our Bible studies, it's on podcasts, but we're in 1 Corinthians, and we're talking about the simplicity of the gospel, and Paul making sure that he keeps the gospel simple, that he doesn't use fancy words, he doesn't use fancy teachings, he simply promotes Jesus crucified. And he talks about that. And right here, you look at Philip in his message for Nathaniel. He says, look, we found him. This is the one the prophets wrote about, Moses wrote about. He's Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And that's all Philip knew. So, so last week, you had two disciples who left Paul to follow Jesus because of Paul's testimony. Today, Jesus comes up to Philip and says, come and follow me. And Philip's like, okay. And that's about all he knows about the guy. But he goes to tell Nathaniel, we found him. He's Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. And that's all he knew. What's really cool is, verse 46, Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Like, what a dig. It'd be like somebody asking you, ah, can anything good come from Chesney? Like, eh, maybe, I don't know. I think Chesney's pretty awesome. Most people don't. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like they, they look at Nazareth, and Nazareth is like the bottom of the pits. You know, it's like the, the armpit of, of the county, you know, or whatever. It, it's like the, the worst place to come from. He's like, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Come and see for yourself. It's important. It's important that as we follow Christ, that we understand that people need to see it for themselves. So point number one this morning, as a follower of Christ, you need to understand this. A real Christian will want others to join the party. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about it before, but the first thing Philip did when he was called by Jesus Christ, he said, I got somebody I want to go with me. He said, I don't want to leave this one behind. He immediately goes and gets Nathaniel, and he says, this is the guy we've been waiting for. You need to come. And the need to share it with others is a natural instinct that we all have. Now, I want you to think about this. Anytime in life that you experience something good, do you not naturally want to go and tell someone else about it? People get paid a lot of money to get on TV or online or, or, or to even like say, hey, I used this product and it was great and it worked for me and it did this and I want to help you do it. People get paid a lot of money to do that because it goes a long way whenever you have someone that you trust who can affirm that something works and that you not feel like you're wasting your time on it, right? And so anytime that we experience something good in life, whether it's a place that we go eat, some type of food, some of us are really loyal to our brands. Like some of you are like diehard Chevrolet, diehard Ford, diehard Dodge, diehard whatever. And you promote that. If you ever work with Eli Garrett, do not take any tools unless it's Dewalt or he will rag you the entire day. I mean, he's very loyal to the Dewalt brand. He's probably got a Dewalt cup he's drinking out of right now. But guys, you have to understand there's a natural desire for us to want to share good things with people. And you have to ask yourself this question, if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, 
and you have not shared your faith with someone, if you have not shared Jesus with someone, do you really believe what you say you believe? Like, like if you believe that Jesus saved you from your sins and cleansed you from that and freed you from guilt and shame and has made your life better, and if, and if you have witnessed Him answer prayers and do all these things, if you really believe that, why in the world would you not tell someone else about it? Because a true follower of Christ is going to want as many people to come and join the party as they possibly can because God has instilled that within you. God has instilled the natural desire for you to share good news with other people. If Jesus has the power to free people from sin and addictions and to save them from hell and He has the power to give eternal life, why would you not want to tell someone? Why would you not want to say that? <clears throat> and I, I know there's probably someone sitting here right now who's saying, okay, like, you're just a typical pastor. You're being radical. Like, I understand you love Jesus and you're like, all excited about it, and you get paid to stand up there and tell people about Jesus and all this stuff. And I just want to challenge you, as someone who claims to have faith in Jesus Christ, to really ask yourself, do you have the mind of Christ? Because in John chapter 17, verses 23 through 24, as Jesus is in the middle of a prayer as he's praying to the Father, listen to what he says. He says, I'm in them... And you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. So you think about this. Jesus is praying to God and he wants the people that God has given him to be with him where he is. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world begins. So, so he wants those who belong to him to be with him so that they can see God's glory. And so if we claim to be believers in Jesus Christ, and Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 calls us to have the same attitude of Christ Jesus, why would we not want everyone else that we could possibly convince to do this to go and to be with Jesus Christ, to walk with him in this world, and to be with him in eternity? It doesn't make sense. You really have to take a step back and contemplate whether or not you really believe what you say you believe if you are not willing to tell someone else about Jesus Christ. And it could be one of those things of, okay, maybe you've been saved a long time and you used to tell people about Jesus and you were really excited about it at one time and used to teach a class and was involved in church and involved in ministry and did all this stuff. And then here lately, there's been no desire in your life to share Christ with anyone. There's no desire to talk about it. There's no joy in it. There needs to be a revival that needs to take place in your personal life to get you back to where you want to share with other people about what God has not only done, but what God is still doing inside of you. Because that's the thing. If God did something five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, that's great. And it's worth talking about. 
But it's better when God is still working and moving in you because then you have new things to talk about. You ever been around somebody who just tells the same old stories all the time? How annoying is that? It's like you got to really love somebody to put up with them telling you the same stories all the time. But if somebody tells you new stories, that's interesting. You always like being around people who has new stuff, new information, new things to talk about. They're fun to be around. It's no difference than being a Christian. Nobody wants to hear about what God did in your life 20 years ago. People want to hear about what God's doing in your life now. People want to hear about what God's doing in your family, in your world, in your job, in your relationships. And God has the power to do so. And so you really have to question in your life, do I really believe in the Jesus that I say that I believe in if I have no desire whatsoever to share the gospel with people and tell them about Christ? That's a, that's a fair question. <clears throat> I used this example earlier, and then thankfully Greg Edmond sent me the text message right after the first service. This woman named Gillette, Penn Gillette, was, she's an atheist, and, she, and I'm going to give you the exact quote because he sent it to me. It says, I don't respect people who do not proselytize, basically witness and tell other people about Christ. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there is a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make, make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them? And that's coming from someone who does not believe in God. How much would you have to hate someone to not tell them about Christ? It's pretty interesting to think about. Hannah loves to watch Survivor. Um, and so I'll watch it with her every once in a while. And then it gets old because there's like 40 seasons of it. I mean, it's like, there's a lot. But there was one particular episode where these people won this award and they got to go to this really fancy resort and they got all this like great fancy food. And these people have not eaten in days and maybe even weeks at this point. And so this, this team of people won. But you know, if you remember in Survivor, they're all competing against each other and there's just one left. And so although you might have teams, even your teammates are still your enemies. And so this guy starts eating so, some meat. I mean, he got his first taste of meat that he's had in forever. And he's like shoveling it down. And there's all kinds of other food on the table. But for whatever reason, the meat just really like it was what he wanted. He just shoveled it, shoveled it, shoveled it. And there was this girl who was on his team. Right? I mean, she won the award with him. And she's there. And she did some bodybuilding and working out uh, leading up to this. And she knew that if you just sit there and you just scarf down a bunch of meat, that your body doesn't do a great job of just processing nothing but meat, and it constipates you. And she knew this, and she's sitting there watching this guy, and she even says it as they interview her on the show. She's like, oh, I knew whenever I was sitting there watching him do that, <clears throat> he wasn't going to be able to use the bathroom. But hey, he's one of my enemies, and so if he's gone, it's one step closer. I get to win in a million dollars. And she knew. She knew what he was going to do. The guy was the only guy to ever go home on Survivor for being constipated. How much do you have to hate someone or try to elevate yourself above someone to not tell them something that would benefit them and be good for them? 
It would be like if there was something outside waiting to, to kill somebody, and I'm sitting up here telling you this morning, and I'm preaching to you about Jesus, but I don't tell you what's waiting outside the door to kill somebody, and the first person who walks through the door is going to be dead, and I don't tell you. How many of you would be mad at me? Because everybody knows most people are trying to be the first one out the door on Sunday morning. It's probably going to be you. It does not make sense for us to say that we love Christ, to say that we believe in it, and to not be willing to share it, to not be willing to tell it. And so we really have to take a look inwardly as believers in Christ and ask, okay, why am I not telling people about Jesus? Why am I not passionate about sharing Christ with someone? Why am I not inviting people along for this ride? Because it should be a joy. It should be. It should be a privilege. It should be exciting to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if it's not, I want to tell you there's something missing. Because it should be a joy. So in Acts chapter 1 verse 8... Jesus is telling his disciples about what will come when they receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so think about this this morning. Here's the disciples who walked with Jesus for three years learned from him, was called to do ministry by him, was sent out by him in Matthew 10 to go out and do ministry. And they had some good experiences, but they had some failures too. And I want to tell you this morning, if you are following Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in him and you are walking with Jesus simply through your own strength, if you are walking with Christ simply by your own strength, chances are, you're going to have some wins and you're going to have some successes because you're following Jesus and that's great. But chances are you're going to have a lot of failures and a lot of shortcomings and a lot of frustrations and you're not going to feel very empowered and you're going to feel insignificant and you're going to feel unworthy to do all the things that God's called you to do. And you don't understand why some people can talk about Christ and some people can get up and preach about it and some people can go do this and some people can go do that. But I don't feel like I can do that. And the thing is, is that we might just be missing the Holy Spirit, which is supposed to come upon us and empower us to do the things that God has called us to do. So you could be sitting here this morning and truly believe in Jesus Christ and experience salvation and not have the power of the Holy Spirit working and moving in your life to help you do these things. And it's not magical and it's not something that you're just supposed to be able to do. It is awkward to tell people about Christ. It's super weird. If you think getting up on Sunday morning and preaching is cool, this is awkward. It's so awkward I don't even tell people that I'm a pastor when I meet them because they act weird around me because it's awkward. But the Holy Spirit empowers us to do the things that God has called us to do. And you can't play dumb. And you can't ignore it. You need to understand in your life there's a calling for you to tell others to come and to join the party. Point number two. We're simply called to tell who Jesus is. 
And that's it. And Wednesday night, our, our Bible study in 1 Corinthians right now is just, it, it's perfect for this. I mean, if you're, if you're wanting something to study, please come to Bible study on Wednesday nights. If you can't make it on Wednesday nights, listen to the podcast. It's on our website. It's a perfect passage of Scripture that talks about keeping the message of the gospel simple. And so many people, we're, we're just, we just struggle with this. And it's so important to realize as a believer in Christ to know that you're not called, think about this, you're not called to shame other people. You're, you're not called to beat them into submission. You're not called to annoy them to death. Like, if you're annoying about it and people start running another way, you're not going to be able to tell them about Christ. You understand me? Like, you can't just belittle people and try to guilt them into stuff. And there's parents who do this with children and grandparents who do this with families because you believe in Christ and you know how important it is and you just desperately want people to follow Christ. But we cannot be the driving force behind someone choosing Jesus. You just can't. You are not powerful enough. And the guilt and the shame and the pressure that you put on somebody may work for a little while, but whenever you're not around, they're going to do what they want to do. And eventually, they're just going to reject it altogether. We are simply called to promote Jesus. When you look at what Philip told Nathaniel, there was no fancy words. There was no like two hour long sermon. There, there was no <clears throat> sitting down and writing a book of, of theological evidences and looking at all this stuff in the scriptures and, and finding all the prophecies that had been fulfilled through Christ in this moment. And actually, most of the prophecies had not been fulfilled yet. Like they were still going to be fulfilled through the life of Christ and through the disciples as they were following him. He simply told him who Jesus was. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And it doesn't get more simple than that. And, and so many of us are worried about having this perfect gospel presentation. Like if you think if you've got to sit down and talk to somebody about Jesus and you've got to have this like perfect gospel presentation in under a minute so you can really get your points across and you've got to know your theology and you've got to know about all the other different religions and you can quote the Apostles' Creed and you know what the Council of Nicaea is and you can know why the books are in the Bible and all this stuff. You don't have to worry about all that stuff. When you look at what God has called you to do, God has called you to promote Jesus. Jesus, that's it. And when someone asks you about all this other random stuff, because they're going to ask you questions, and that's what we're afraid of, not knowing the answer. It was really frustrating whenever I got older and I started asking like questions to my parents and grandparents and stuff, and they didn't know the answers. I'm just like, well, what good are you? It was like, it was frustrating. You're supposed to know everything. You're supposed to teach me all this stuff. It's like they don't. They're not supposed to. There's some things that we have to learn on our own. And for you to have a conversation with somebody and they ask you a question and you don't know the answer to, it's like, I don't know. But I'll go home and look it up and I'll be more than happy to talk with you again about it. There's a great thing out today called Google, full of information. A lot of bad information, a lot of good information. Be careful, but you can find it. Books, there's people that you should be able to know and call to ask questions about stuff. Is one of, the, one of the greatest joys I get as a pastor is having people call me and just asking, like, 
just all kinds of different Bible questions and the, theological questions and situational questions in their life, like that's one of the greatest things ever. Because a lot of times, Pastor, you're getting bad phone calls with, with negative stuff. So it's really cool whenever you get good phone calls like that. I like that. You know, I don't know if you ever thought about it before, but when you go to heaven one day and you stand before Jesus, now, and we don't really know how this is going to work. You know, we all have our image of what heaven's going to be like. <clears throat> I always think of God looking somewhat similar to uh, the king on the Little Mermaid. You know, he's like this really buff dude, and he's got this gold trident, and he looks really cool. That's really weird. I don't know why I think that. But you stand before God, and He's deciding whether or not He's going to let you into heaven. And He looks at you and says, Well, uh, Adam, you, you believed in me, but you couldn't quote the Apostles' Creed, and you just, your theology just wasn't where it needed to be, so I'm just not going to be able to let you in. Or you couldn't answer all these questions, and so you just—we're not going to let you in today. And it's just crazy to think that we know when we stand before God, and the simple thing that's going to get us into heaven is faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. It is what makes us righteous. We are not righteous. We're righteous because Jesus covers us with His righteousness. Because of our belief in Him. And yet, we, we cling to that for eternal life. Like, that's good enough to get us into heaven. But whenever we talk to someone about Christ, that is no longer good enough. And we are so intimidated that we just don't do it. And when you stand before God one day, it's not going to matter whether or not you got... There's a time and place for theology. It's important. But when you stand before God one day, He's not going to be like, well, your theology was just a little off, so we're not going to let you in today. God is going to say, either I know you or I don't. Depart from me, for I never knew you. And there's going to be people say, God, we cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. We perform miracles in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, I don't know you. We did not have a relationship. You might claim to have been mine, and you might have done stuff in my name, but you didn't believe in me, and you didn't do what I called you to do. Because if you know Jesus, you know the message of the gospel is simple. Jesus was crucified for our sins. And the Jesus that we serve is powerful enough to do anything and everything that we need Him to do. And so when we talk to people about Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about sitting down and reading a theological book to make sure you get it just right. You need to have faith that Jesus is powerful enough for you to tell somebody about Him, and He can do the rest. And you need to have faith to know that whenever you're talking to your kids and your grandkids, you don't have to guilt them and beat them into submission. You tell them about Jesus and have faith that Jesus can do the rest. Because He's much more powerful than we are. He's much greater than we are. He's much more capable than we are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, we talked about this this past Wednesday night, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's focusing so much on simplifying the gospel 
so that these people in this church don't get carried away with fancy philosophies and fancy education and fancy talk. And look at what he says in verse 2. He says, For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. And for an entire church of people who were so worried on taking sides and having these little factions inside their church about who they followed and who they thought was better and smarter and all this stuff, Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, lack of better terms, he nicely said, you're all idiots. Whenever I got there, you weren't considered wise in your, your fellow brothers and sisters' eyes in Corinth. So, so you're not physically, you're not like worldly smart with wisdom or anything like that, but also in spiritual wisdom, like you've been saved less than two years, you're all still spiritually immature, you just need to focus on Jesus. You need to get Jesus right. You need to focus on Him. He was crucified, and that's enough. And the power of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, he talks a lot about the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 2, about the Holy Spirit working and moving and doing stuff in our life. And the best way to witness to people, guys, is just be simple with it. Don't be fancy. The greatest witness that you can have is just being simple. Telling people about Jesus, telling telling people what Jesus has done for you, but make sure that you can tell people what Jesus is still doing for you. That's huge. That's going to be the difference maker. Don't worry about denominations or religions or any of that other stuff. Focus on Jesus. Point number three, we must encourage others to see for themselves. When you look at the response of Nathaniel, and he says, man, can anything good come from Nazareth? You've got to be kidding me. Think about the humor and the sarcasm in that. And think about how many people you think, man, if I tell somebody about Jesus, they're going to look at me like I'm an idiot. They're probably going to. Because like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross seems foolish to the world, but it is the wisdom of God that saves. The people of the world are not going to get it, and they're not going to understand it, and they're not going to be able to comprehend it. And you can't make them. And there's nothing wise or smart or intelligent enough for you to say to somebody of the world, that's going to, they're going to say, oh yeah, I get it, you're right, now I'm going to put my faith in Christ. Like, no. That's not going to happen. But there needs to be an invitation for you to say, come and see for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Come and see for yourself. Best phone calls I ever got was from somebody in this church. And they were talking to me about witnessing and trying to tell someone they knew about Christ. And the person just did not want to believe. And they were just real skeptical, like finding every reason, asking every question. It was just, and finally the person was just like, you know, I told them, I said, look, I can't explain to you what I feel in my heart. The only thing that I can tell you is that I know what I feel in my heart. I know what Christ has done for me is real. And I know it's true. I know it's the best thing that's ever happened. And I can't convince you that you need to experience it for yourself. And there's no better truth than that because people are not going to believe unless they experience it themselves. And it's tricky. Like this is the weird thing about faith because you have to step out on faith 
in order to experience it. But you're not going to have that faith solidified until you experience it for yourself. You understand what I'm saying? It's a little conundrum that people have to work through. you got to be willing to step out there and try it and maybe look like a fool for a little while before you get that affirmed in your life. But the cool thing is, if you do, God will affirm it. In Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, David wrote, Taste and see the Lord is good. Oh, the joy for those who take refuge in Him. Even in the Old Testament, they were writing and they were saying, taste and see. If you don't believe me that it tastes good, take a bite. Try it for yourself. Come and see for yourself what God can do for you. And when you look at the whole situation, for you to sit down and tell someone about Jesus Christ, and they look at you like an idiot, because more than likely they're going to. And your response, all it has to be, is come and see for yourself. Try it for yourself. If you don't believe me, try it. But don't just try it for an hour or a day. I'm talking about commit yourself to it and try it for a while and watch the Lord work and move in your life. Come and see for yourself. There's a lot of confidence in that. I don't know if you've ever thought about that statement. But for you to simply say something and expect someone to believe it. Most people are like, "Eh, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Take it with a grain of salt. But for you to say something and say, nope, this is true, come and see for yourself, shows them that you actually have enough faith in that what you believe that they will experience too if they come to see for themselves. Now, I know I just repeated myself like three times in that, but really think about what that means. For you to challenge someone to come and see for yourself shows that you truly believe what you're saying. Because if you're not willing to say it, you have to question whether or not you actually believe it. But if you're willing to say it, and if you're willing to challenge someone to come and to see for themselves, really does show that you believe, and that if they do come and see, if they do come to try it out, if they do come to take a taste for themselves, that they actually will experience it for themselves. That's a confidence in our faith and hope that we have in Jesus Christ that should be present in all of us. None of us should sit here this morning and live in fear that if we tell somebody about Jesus and they put their hope and trust and faith in Him and call on His name, that He might not answer them. That should never cross our mind as believers in Christ. Because the truth is, none of us this morning are that special. There's nobody sitting in this room this morning that you are so special that God saved you, but He wouldn't offer it to anybody else. It's for everyone. And to believe in that and to tell somebody about Jesus... There should not be a question in your mind as to whether or not God would reveal himself to this person so that they could experience it and taste and see for themselves that the Lord is truly good. And so when you talk about having faith in Christ, your faith is supposed to grow through situations, circumstances, through life. And it's not just a matter anymore about having faith in Christ to save you from your sins, or having faith in Christ to give you eternal life. But now it's about having faith in Christ 
to present himself and move and work in people as you are telling them about Jesus. The name of Jesus is powerful. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that like when you call upon the name of Jesus that, that you are wielding power when you do that? When you tell other people about Jesus that that is powerful? That, that the accepting of Jesus Christ in your life opens up the opportunity for you to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and for Him to empower you to do things that you could not do before? that you were not capable of before, to give you the confidence to do things that you were not confident in doing before, we really have to take a step back and think about what we believe. Because if we tell people about it and we challenge them to come and see, it speaks to them in a way that shows that we really believe what we're talking about. Because I believe it enough to know that if I tell somebody about Jesus, that God can work and move in their heart. And that I may be the one to plant the seed, I might be the one to water the seed, but God can work and move and make sure that later on down the road, whether I'm there or not, that seed's going to grow, and it's going to get harvested, and it's going to produce a harvest in future generations. And if you don't have faith in that, what are you doing? Why are you even here this morning? So the question is, really, is how much do you really believe? Do you believe enough to challenge others to come and see what it is that you've experienced for yourself? Let's pray together. Father, we just want to say thank you for this day. And thank you for your word and thank you for men and women who have been faithful to share the gospel through generations. Lord, we did not get here We didn't get to have a church, and none of us got to be saved, none of us got to be baptized, none of us got to go to Bible school, none of us got to go to camp, none of us got to experience all these things because men and women were afraid, and they laid down and they didn't share the gospel. But God, we're here today because John the Baptist did what he was called to do. And Jesus did what he was called to do. And the disciples did what they were called to do. And we have men and women through the centuries who believed in it so much that they were willing to lay their life down for it. They were willing to die in order to share the good news about Jesus Christ being crucified. And God, I pray that as a church... We would not be afraid and we would never neglect the calling on our life to invite people to come and see all the wonderful things that you can do. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.